Welcome to Your Partner in Success Radio, a program that values the potential of knowledge, collaboration, and growth. The show is hosted by Denise Griffiths, who is known as an intensely curious nerd in stilettos. Each Wednesday, she is joined by co-host Ben Gay III, a renowned figure in the sales world. Ben is recognized for introducing The Closers, one of the most popular and powerful sales training materials ever produced. Having been mentored by Dr. Napoleon Hill himself, Ben has gained a wealth of knowledge in sales and life. Throughout the show, Denise and Ben delve into the world of sales, entrepreneurship, and success, exploring Ben's vast experience from guiding and mentoring countless professionals to achieve unparalleled success in their careers. Together, they offer unmatched guidance to listeners seeking success in their professional endeavors. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another exciting episode of the Closers Inner Circle podcast, hosted by Denise Griffiths and Ben Gay on your Partner in Success Radio. And today we are unleashing sales mastery and podcasting expertise as we answer audience questions that are related to our particular disciplines. Now, naturally, Ben, being a living legend in sales. <clears throat> You'll have to excuse me. My voice is shot. It's 104 degrees here. I've been coughing up a storm as I gasp for air. So <laughs> air with me. Well, in where I live, we have two seasons, hot and hotter in hell. And guess where we are right now? <laughs> but anyway, let me back up a bit. So naturally, Ben, a living legend in sales, is going to be addressing any questions related to sales, obviously. And on the other hand, as a host of your Partner in Success Radio, a show that is ranked in the top 2% of the most popular podcasts globally, and I'm so proud of that, we'll be sharing my insights about podcasting, specifically honing in on the art of becoming a fantastic podcast guest. Ben, good morning. Hey, I want to take a moment to wish you a happy birthday. I know it was yesterday, and from what I'm seeing on social media, you received a lot of love from all over the world. They're uh, very nice people. Well, they love you. We all do. I mean, I I jumped up first thing in the morning. Oh, I've got to go wish him a happy birthday. Darn it. That Randy guy beat me. (laughs) (laughs) We all know who Randy is. He must have waited up on, I know he did it on purpose. He tried to make me look bad. He was, uh, I I have a dear friend who's wished me happy birthday on August 1st every year for years. And uh, I don't, I don't know why somehow that got in his system. My birthday is August 22nd. And uh, this year, uh, it came in while I was out and Gigi answered it and said, I'll tell him what you said and so on. But his birthday is August 22nd. And I told you, now you've ruined everything. <laughs> it started, you know, my birthday month. That's I, right. I, yeah, I really like that. What was she thinking? I don't know. Probably wasn't. But now he's squared away, so he called again yesterday to wish me a happy birthday. Well, you got nice. As I told my running buddy, Jimmy Rucker, the greatest salesman I ever worked with, um, the uh, who's my age, I said, I used the old adage, and it's so true. If, if we had known we were going to live this long, we would have taken far better care of ourselves. <laughs> Yeah, I think we all think that no matter what age we are. We look back and go, oh, geez. You know? 
Yeah, when you're talking about Randy Chaffee, and he's the one that I'm going to get him for that. But my brother, he's long since he passed away a couple years ago. He was the one that had a double lung transplant, and he finally succumbed. But it was always, I mean, he would. It was a, a game with him. He was going to be the first one to wish us happy birthday or Merry Christmas or happy Groundhog Day, whatever it was. He was going to be the first, by golly, and it got to be a, a thing between him and my sister who was going to beat who and he always won because he'd stay up late and say i mean i'd get a phone call at two in the morning happy birthday oh you little jerk (laughs) (laughs) but this year there's only us left you know out of a whole bunch of kids only me and one sister left and we're not old enough for that to be happening but it happened and she sent me a, a text you said well happy birthday i guess i'm first i said i guess you are <laughs> and we both just kind of went oh you know but those things are they're so special so i'm glad you had a good birthday it was nice very very reassuring that there's people out there who care and i appreciate that well you're not invisible not by any stretch of the imagination. So listen, we've got questions. You've got a list of of questions that have been kind of popping in, and I've got three or four of them that I think are, excuse me, pretty important. But because your voice is working better, why don't you get started? All right. I've been gathering them up. If if anyone listening would like to submit their questions uh, at the end of the call, Denise will tell you how to make contact and so on. If you want to just send it to me, if it's a sales question, just shoot me an email at bfg3 at directcon.net. And uh, I'll be more than happy to log it away and bring it up in a future call. First one I have, and it was the first one that came in after we made that plea a couple of weeks ago, was from a client friend named John Abercrombie. I have trouble saying Abercrombie, even though I've known him for years. Uh, And he asked rhetorically, because I think he sort of knew the answer knowing me, should I get into sales? And then why or why not? And I get that question a lot from people. You know, I, I don't like salespeople. I would never be able to sell, et cetera. Well, there are people... Uh, who really shouldn't be in selling for whatever reason. Uh, Horrendously, painfully shy. And, you know, I can give the speech about get over it and go to Dale Carnegie and so on and want to do that, fine. But there are people who are inclined to want to sell, and there are people who would rather have root canal work done than go into selling. That's probably based primarily on ignorance because they think it's worse than it is. But there are people. I had was talking to a young friend of a friend the other day who's, I think, 30, and he, and he asked, uh, should I get in sales? Basically the same question. And I said, no. And he said, oh, well, that isn't the answer I expected. And I said, well, I've watched you and talked to you for 10 or 15 years, and here's what I think you should do for financial security. Go get a job maybe at the U.S. post office. I have a friend who works at our local post office who makes $200,000 a year, and he works at the front counter. Uh, He's been there a lot of years, and I guess he's had other jobs along the way. But I know lots of salespeople who aren't making $200,000 a year, and this guy with a blue shirt on standing behind the counter taking letters in, 
that's what he makes. So there are people who I would direct in, in that direction. I know it have been times in my life when in selling there are ups and downs, and I've had a few downs over the years, down periods. And uh, I even thought to myself, I wonder if maybe I should have taken one of those <laughs> civil service jobs or stayed with my father or, or something. And uh, so it's a very, it's a highly personal question. And with my mentoring clients, I can answer it very specifically for them because I get to know them. But generally speaking, with a broad overreach, uh, let me tell you that selling is a wonderful occupation. If you sell quality products that are competitively priced to qualified people, if you spend your day doing that, and if you learn that selling is a skill, it is a learned skill. It's also a service. I mean, if you're giving them something that they really need, can use, will actually benefit from it's you're not harming them. Absolutely. Uh, and it's that's part of quality product, competitively priced, et cetera. Uh, but the image of a salesperson, you know, people say, I don't want to be a used car salesman. <laughs> uh, well, that's too bad because I know used car salesmen who do extremely well, but they're not the old guy you see on television in the plaid coat telling, you know, tell you what I'm going to do. Uh, that's not a professional salesperson, wasn't then, isn't now. I don't know how well-known he was nationally, but we had a guy out here, Cal Worthington, who made a joke out of being an old-fashioned used car salesman and turned it to his advantage because he was absolutely delightful and filthy rich. When he and his wife got divorced, they decided it would be better. They didn't get divorced when they decided they ought to. What they did was they lived on opposite sides of their big ranch, divided by the runway in the middle where he kept his Learjet. And uh, he, while acting like a sleazy salesman, and he would always talk about my, my uh, dog, Bob, or whoever it was, but the dog changed. It was frequently a chimpanzee. Or a, huge, or a huge turtle, <laughs> you know. I'm he, seeing it in my head. Yeah. He turned, you know, J. Douglas Edwards taught us, if you have a built-in objection, bring it up first and brag about it. Well, the built-in objection to a car salesman, especially a used car, which is primarily what he made his money on, uh, he realized, you think I'm a sleazeball. Okay, I'll show you a sleazeball, <laughs> you know. But he was funnier than the devil and uh, made a, a game out of it. So if you're a Cal Worthington type, I couldn't keep you out of selling if I told you not to get into selling because it's in your blood. In my case, I got into selling because it's about all that I knew. Everybody I knew, all my parents' friends owned their own businesses and they all still sold to make their businesses go. And almost everyone started out in selling. All of my aunts and uncles were salespeople and business owners and so on. So it was my comfort zone. I didn't know any better. And when I made a couple of half-hearted attempts to look in the one ads for uh, other things to do, I found out oversimplified. I wasn't qualified to do much other than being a salesperson. Well, that's the good news because selling properly practiced is the highest paid profession on earth. 
So it is. It, it really. And I have to interrupt you before I forget about this. I might have shared it. You're talking about you know your used car salesman, and I love. I'm, seriously, I could see it in my head. We had a guy here, and I'm in the deep south, southwest mm-hmm. Louisiana, and it's Cajun country. So. I couldn't understand what he said a lot of the time. It's a very <laughs> thick Cajun accent. I've gotten better with it over years, but I remember when I first got here, I would I asked my husband at the time, I said, What language is that? And he looked at me and said, No, it's not. No, it's not. And it took a while, but this guy, big guy, and kind of a homely fella, you know, not mm-hmm. a pretty looking guy. And he would wear a bright red blazer and he would get up in front of these stacks of tires in front of the bays in his his store and he would just flat out say you gotta have tires they ain't pretty they're ugly but you gotta have them (laughs) and i have never and i'm sure he's gone now but you know they ain't pretty but you gotta have them i went well that's leading with an objection and taking care of it so yeah and and since you gotta have them let me tell you why you ought to come over That's here and exactly get them. right and i did go yeah. over there and get him <laughs> i wanted to see the guy on the red jacket <laughs> well the uh john ambercrombie uh, asked a great question it's a highly personal answer but yes i'm a an ad unless it's just the worst thing you can imagine and you wouldn't do it with a gun at your head I recommend getting in sales, if only to try it. Maybe it isn't for you, but give it a shot. And as you just said, Denise, if they're selling the proper product or service, they're providing a service. You are... And I think a lot of people, when they you know think, should I get into selling, what they're talking about is, since selling is sleazy and they're selling things nobody wants, and they're having to lie about it and so on, I don't want to get into selling. Well, I wouldn't want to get into that kind of selling either. No, neither uh, would I, I. Yeah, but I've sold things that save people's lives, uh, sold things that change their lives completely. And uh, and like you said, things they had to have. When I was selling lawnmowers at Macy's in Atlanta years ago, as you know, in the South, do you need a lawnmower wasn't really a question. No. Of course you need a lawnmower. How many times a week do you have to mow that lawn? Yeah. and uh, Right now, though, we're having a drought, so the grass is not growing. I have never seen this down here. It will. I know. It's coming. So it depends on what kind of selling, but the answer, generally speaking, in my case, is yes, but get good at it. Take the courses. Read the books. The closers would be a good place to start. Read the books. and study, and if you get into selling, you're at the XYZ dealership, store, whatever, get with the best, find out who is the best, honest salesperson they have and shadow that person, man or woman, and do until you develop your own style, do exactly what they do. And you said something important, honest. And listen, I don't, Look, I used to be really offended when somebody said, oh, you're the best natural salesperson. No, I'm not. Well, I'm pretty good at it, apparently. But whatever's coming out of my mouth, I believe. So Mm -hmm. there is that. I'm not blowing smoke. At least I don't think I am. But I do know that we're sold something every single day. We're online. We're buying a marketing course. 
we need air air conditioning filters. Oh, geez, where are we going to go? So we're going to go to Walmart. We're going to we're going to go online, find the best rated. We're, we're being sold. Whoever sells the best filters and tells us they're the best filters, going to get that sale. Absolutely. And remember that the quality you you the listener bring to the product or service if you're good and sincere is with this product they get you i've sold lots of products that they could have gone elsewhere to get the closers is the best selling most powerful most popular books books on selling closing ever written but they're not the only sales books there are numerous other books that could make you a whole lot of money and if you followed what they said but what i always say the you know why should i buy it from you instead of XYZ. I said, because with this product, you get me. It's the only product on earth where you get Ben Gay. You get my, and if it lends itself to that, um, let's say I was selling cars. I never really have officially, but let's say I was selling cars. With this car, you get me. Here's my business card. And on the back of it, I will write my personal private cell phone number. So if it breaks down, you don't have to call AAA to start with. You call me. With this car, you get Ben Gay. That's what's different about it. And they're comfortable with that, yeah, which is yeah. also a very important part of selling. If I'm going to buy something from you, even if I can return it, and chances are I may. You just never know. Maybe the hype was hyped, and maybe it turns out it wasn't exactly what I needed after all. But if I was comfortable with you, I'm going to say, hey, you know, Ben, I'm so sorry. This isn't, I can't use this at this time and I need to return it, but I will stay in touch. And anything else you've got, I will be watching. And if I handle that return properly, you'll be more loyal to me than you were when you bought it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, people, listen, I, when I tell you, I have never, when I was younger, would have never thought I would be in sales, but I have to be. I'm a web developer. I've got a podcast. I need to convince people to come to my podcast and listen to it. Mm-hmm. I need to convince people like you to come on and be a guest. I don't do that just by saying, hey, you want to? <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not going to work. I have to sell it. But because it, I love what I do, it's I'm not selling. I'm just inviting yeah, and it's a worn-out phrase, but it is so true. We're all in selling. We are. All the time. You know, you may not know it. You may not get a commission check, et cetera, but we're all in selling. So you might as well get good at it. Since you have no choice, you might as well get good at it. Exactly. What's so your I'm... question? You got a question there. Do one of yours. Oh, gosh. Um you know, I've been getting a lot of questions because the last time we were on, I, I mentioned that I was launching this this product that oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait to do it. I still don't have a good name for it. We'll talk about that later. But one of the questions that I get a lot, and we're talking about podcast guesting today because I think it's an underserved market. You know, there are a lot of lot of people who can teach you about being a podcast host. I'm one of them. I'm also creating that. But being a guest, that's a whole different side of the mic, as you know. Mm -hmm. You did not want to start your own because you wanted to come in and be a guest. And in this case, my co-host. 
and that's where your comfort level is. And you don't have to do all the hard work that is behind those things. Mm -hmm. Being a podcast guest is not you just showing up and going, well, oh, and I have to kind of back up a little bit. Years ago, I had a lady come on my show and I was pretty clear. You can't use me as your billboard. You know, you're here Mm -hmm. to share information with a wide audience it's evergreen. They're going to want to, in your words, Ben, know you, like you, trust you, and be comfortable. And and I know that's not right, but but well, you know, say it again. Close. Okay. Well, tell, <laughs> tell me what it really is, because I should know it, but I don't. People like to buy and do business with people they know, like, trust, and with whom they feel safe. It's the safe part. I, I always mm-hmm. want to say comfortable. But this lady, God bless her, she got on my show and she was just going to run over the top of me. And you know me. That doesn't work well. No, I wouldn't try that. <laughs> but see, you're a smart guy. But this <laughs> woman, no matter what I asked her, and I kept trying to move her off. She says, well, if you'll just go to my pod, my website. And she would repeat the URL to the website. And I was getting, my hair was raising on the back of my neck. And the next time she did it, I just hung up. I slammed the phone down because I was still doing it on a phone. And then I called her. This was early days. And I said, listen, you know, thank you for coming on the show, but I'm not going to be able to air that. Oh, well, when can I come back? We want to finish it. I said, no, ma'am, we don't. (laughs) And you know. She needed a course in listening. You had just told her she wasn't coming back. And as a Southern girl, when I say, no, ma'am, get out of my way. It's not (laughs) a good thing. And she just kept, well, you know, I've got more to share. And I said, no, ma'am, you don't. Well, I don't understand why I can't come back on. I said, because. I don't like you. Yeah, there you go. And that was the end of it. She finally left me alone, but she had no couth at all. It was going to be her way. That's not what you do. If you're going to be a standout guest, it it requires a combination of factors and authenticity. You've talked about that is critical. It's crucial. And listeners connect with real stories and genuine passion, which is why this show does so well. And then your expertise needs to shine through clear and concise insights help, showcasing your deep knowledge, engaging storytelling holds attention, makes your points relatable and memorable, and then adapt to the host style. You know, for me, it's always a conversation and people like that. My guests are like, oh, good. I don't, you know, you're not going to ask me hard questions. No, I'm not. And if I do, and I catch myself at it because it was an accident, they're welcome to say, I don't know. Yep. And I'll say, well, great. Well, let's come back. Can you come back and we'll figure that out? Yeah. You know, a lot of times I'll just bring people back like you multiple times. So active listening, thoughtful responses, respect for the audience or for the host. So in essence, being a standout podcast guest involves being yourself, sharing expertise, and fostering engaging discussions. It's no more difficult than that. I totally agree, and I've heard good ones and bad ones, and good hosts and bad hosts. But uh, among the things a guest should do, and you touched on it yourself, is listen, capital L, listen. Uh, Nelson Mandela was known as a great speaker, et cetera, but his friends and people who really studied him said his true strength was he was a dynamic listener. So when I go on somebody's podcast, I can just go, hi, my name's Ben Gay and talk for an hour. 
That's what I've been doing for years and years and years. But this is their podcast. They know their audience, etc. So I may draw from my uh, reservoir of stories and so on. But I do the one that's in response to their question or comment. Exactly. Uh, yeah. That's what makes this look that first. Oh, God, was it six years ago, eight years ago? It was a long time ago. That first conversation we had, and it was a conversation. We still, it's still one of the most downloaded in all the 700 and some odd that I've done over the years. It was just a conversation. We were talking. You were sharing sharing stories. I was asking questions. It was amazing. I didn't want it to end, but we had to. We only had an hour. But That's, you, that's the one where halfway through it, you said something that made me yeah. realize we were doing a live show. Yep. I I thought we were chatting before the show. <laughs> no, we were we were doing it. It was <laughs> But you've come back multiple times now. Of course, you're a, ho- a co-host, which I would have had it not been you, I would have never considered it. It just would have never crossed my mind. But there you came. You're just like, well, you know, hey Denise, I went, hey Ben, and here we are. <laughs> well, so I appreciate it. it. Works, but you know, if you're going to be a guest or a host, you need to zip it seriously you need to listen you need to be able to kind of advance where it's going to go but you also need to pivot if you need to it's like oh that conversation's not going where i thought it was but i'm expert enough to as you do switch and go Mm -hmm. in a different it's really about you as a guest being authentic not trying to shove your your information down down our throats listen as a host i'm going to ask you where can people find you you know what do you have that's going on i interview a lot of authors and i'll have that book in front of me and i'm going to give that author a lot of love before during and after the podcast but and i will say this because i've had one or two just maybe two over the years where it was kind of a repeat of that lady back in the day and i was like oh my gosh I didn't do much for them after that. I put it out there. I did everything I needed to, but I didn't enjoy the the conversation. Terry Grant said the secret of acting was not to get caught at it. Uh, And that's also, I think, the secret of selling, the secret of being a good host, the secret of being a good guest. Don't do anything so obviously where people are going, oh, I see what he's doing now. Something just crossed my mind that you might want to add to your bag of tricks. If I was trying to teach someone how to be a good host and a good guest, I would have them look up old uh, reruns. I mean, you find them on the internet of Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show. I know. And watch how he worked with guests and how he guided them if necessary. And if they were good, how he just let them run. Uh, and uh, if they need a little help, he jumped in and so on. He was just a man, and he knew the style of each of his guests. If he was doing Rodney Dangerfield, who, you know, did jokes like a machine gun, Carson would go, yeah, oh, really? And then tell me what, and and so on, and just feed him more, uh, more right. stuff uh, to work with. And I've seen him sit there and, and not say a word. You almost forgot he was on the set was somebody who was running on their own and doing just fine. So it's a great place to learn how to be a guest and a host. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I never watched Johnny Carson on TV because I don't watch TV and I'm not even sure when he was on, but I have seen multiple YouTube shows and I love the guy. Mm -hmm. 
I would catch, you know, videos where he's just sitting there and he's got a hand, not over his mouth, but, you know, he's, he's got a finger up there, like, mm, no talking yep. to himself. I think, that it, I think he was reminding himself not to open up and, and take over. I don't know. But that's what I always got out of it. Well, he was a master. No one was ever. I'm a night owl. And uh, watching The Tonight Show all the way back to Jerry Lester. And you've never heard of him. But he had the first Tonight Show. And then Jack Parr. And then Johnny Carson. And then Jay Leno. Uh, I, I watched that was just part of my life. And then we went to these new hosts who don't understand. You'd think they would watch Carson. Uh, reruns. They don't understand what's going on. They're not funny. A lot of potty humor uh, show their liberal leanings uh, so much. Carson, I watched for 30 years, and I couldn't tell you if he was liberal, conservative, or in between. He never, he, he was an equal opportunity insulter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I watched a um, on Fire, to Amazon Fire, I watched a, a bibliography i don't know biography about him it was fascinating and mm-hmm. i mean he was a fascinating guy very smart he had his own demons we all do but yep. oh my he knew how to handle himself he knew how to handle people and if you're go- going back to being a host or a guest that's a terrific idea go watch johnny carson yep. i would have never even thought of that so thank you well it's a great uh prompter and then if you're watching not for the humor you're watching to see what he does it's the way i learned to speak watching people like zig ziglar and so on uh i thought we well, just go to the front of the room and start talking well it was a little more complicated than that so i started sitting on the front row with my legal pad taking notes zig did this then he did this Ogmandino did this, and then he did this, Dr. Hill did this, and so on. And I realized, oh, this is an art and a science and a profession, and I must learn how to do it well, or I'm not going to be long for this business. Do I do my next question? I'm sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, How did did that kind of occur to you? Because most people... I think, and this is me just kind of mouthing off a bit, but most people these days seem to want instant gratification. It's like, well, he did, I can do it. But, yeah. You know, you have to have that thought process kind of trickle into your head. Say, oh, I need to actually learn how to do this. Most sales, tra- I shouldn't say most, many sales trainers, so-called from the front of the room. The reason they're up there is they figured out early in their career that it might be easier to talk about selling than go do it. And uh, therefore, we have a whole bunch of theorists uh, speaking speaking from the front of the room, things they heard from somebody early in their career. And I was blessed in that I kept, I sell now. I made sales this morning before you and I got on the phone and uh, started the show. So I've kept my hand in, and I realized that there was a reason Zig got standing ovations and I got mild applause. Um, I thought, I wonder what the difference is. And then I began studying it like a bug under a microscope. And I said, oh, he did this, he did that. He related to people, lots of eye contact. Uh, you, when you were sitting in an audience with Zig and now me and all good speakers, 
you you felt he was talking directly to, to you, you right to, to the exclusion of the other thousand people in the audience and i've talked to people in the back row who felt that way you know they were almost out of sight you get real small in a crowd of a thousand or ten thousand so on if you're uh, far away from the stage but they got the impression that Zig or I or any of the other people, Earl Nightingale, you know, he was talking directly to me. And uh, that's a, a skill in and of itself. But I had to learn it. I didn't know that. And uh, it, I also didn't know how to sell. I thought I did because I was raised around friendly, charming salespeople. I thought they were just laughing and giggling. Uh, I didn't realize there was a skill to their laughing and giggling, and it had to be studied. It's not that complicated, but you have to be aware of it. You know, the old saying, when the teacher, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear because the teachers have been there all along. You just need to go, oh, I need to learn this and open up. And therefore, these people I was just, you know, having a beer with and chasing girls turned out they had a whole lot more to offer me than that but i had to be open to it and get out my ever-present memo pad well and it sounds like you understood very quickly that you needed to understand the psychology of sales yeah it wasn't yeah. just oh, i'm going to take this script and i'm going to go do that i need to understand what's being said and done around me i need to understand what yeah, we call them micro expressions. You, you'll catch one. You'll be talking with somebody and all of a sudden they just draw in real quick and you almost missed it. But something went wrong in that conversation. Which leads me to a, a question Jack Kelly sent in, may I share? Yeah. See, and I didn't even know I'm that smart. Yeah, <laughs> you are. yeah. I thought that sounds familiar. <laughs> and humble too. <laughs> uh, he wrote, had a presentation call end poorly. In other words, he's on a sales call. Had a presentation call end poorly, unpleasantly even. And it was my fault. What should I do now? Jack Kelly. And I've had more than a few of those over the years. And the answer, Jack, and all of you have had situations like that. And if you've been in selling over 30 days, you probably have. They either ended unpleasantly or they were so ineffective, they, they didn't have an end, good or bad. But the answer is, and it's tough, is called, I'm sorry. And what you need to do is figure out which I'm sorry fits that situation. There you I've, go. I've sent flowers to uh, lady buyers, for lack of a better word, you know, the person I was trying to sell. Because I screwed up and it ended unpleasantly with just a note of apology. Uh, I've, uh, in, in this day and age, I've sent emails to people. I've been looking back over our, our conversation and it didn't end well. And that's my fault. And I'm sorry. In other words, take it on head up. If you have a built-in objection, bring it up first and brag about it. That call didn't go well. That's totally my fault. I'm sorry, what can I do now? And uh, you can also do some, some subtle things like you do a little favor for them. You make sure they know it was a favor you did to sort of wheedle your way back in. <laughs> but first and foremost, I just take them on head up and say, I'm sorry. You know, I've, I've insulted friends and in the middle of the conversation say, uh, 
I'm, that was crude to me. We had a friend who has had kidney stones, lots of kidney stones. Three of us are sitting in the, the, their back, one of their backyards talking. And uh, I've never had a kidney stone. I, they've convinced me they're painful, but I've never had one. The host was sitting next to me. Uh, he's an engineer type. And uh, I knew from a couple of things. He'd said he'd never had a kidney stone. The other guy had had 14 of them. Oh. And and an operation to go with several of the 14. So he was the resident expert. And when I turned to him empathetically to draw information from him, uh, I said, look, I, I don't know anything about kidney stones and neither does he and pointed at my host, uh, who's an engineer type. And if he wanted to know about kidney stones, he would have known about them. But I said, and neither does he. And I saw the look on his face. It was like I'd slapped him. Yeah. And, and the guy with the kidney stones started to answer my question. I said, whoa, whoa, bef before you answer, I have an apology to make. Uh, John, uh, I phrased that very poorly. I assumed you didn't know anything about kidney stone. I may or may not be right. But even if I was absolutely right, I phrased it horribly. And I want to apologize, and I want you. I want to know that you accepted my apology. And he said, "I've never had that happen to me before." <laughs> you know, but somebody, yeah, somebody screws uh -huh. up in a casual conversation and stops it and says, "My fault, my bad." Uh, in in a sales situation, if a call ends badly, admit it. They know it ended badly. The next five people they talk to now know it ended yeah. badly. Because they went out and told them all, whoever was in the hallway, their secretary, whatever. And you know it. So why not acknowledge it? It's the elephant in the room. Let's get the elephant back in its cage. And here's the thing, Ben. And, you know, every once in a while, I'll put my foot in it, you know, talking to people online. or, And I'll know. You know, if, if we have any empathy as people at all, we're going to know when we just went, Ooh. And on the <laughs> yeah. face of it, it wasn't bad it wasn't that bad but you know you can feel that the reaction was not good and yep. you better grab it and say i am so sorry i'm not sure what i did and you're welcome to tell me but i felt that it was wrong so i apologize and I, you know it happens i mean if you're empathic at all and you're paying attention to your gut at all you're going to know when you've stepped right in the middle of something and if you apologize gracefully and quickly, that's what they remember about the conversation, yeah. not the insult that preceded it. Well, and I don't want to have to, you know, sit there and go, what did I say? I probably knew what I said well, or did. And once I figure out what it is, I'm 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 making that phone call. Oh, I'm so sorry. That was just me being a moron, as Reba McIntyre would say, <laughs> moron. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes we do it and we better grab it and get it out of the way because it's going to bother you, them, and everybody who hears about it. Right. Make sure the last thing they remember is what a gracious person you were when you were apologizing and taking right. blame for it. Right. So what did you tell him to do? Take it on head up. Call him. Call him. I, I assumed, but by the way, he had written this that it happened recently. It sounded like an open wound. <laughs> so oh. I, 
I said, you know, I, I wasn't there. I don't know. You have to tailor the, the apology to the situation and your relationship with them. But it is time to apologize, make it right so that you both can move on and make sure that what he or she remembers about that encounter is how gracious you were in the apology. They will have forgotten the insult by then. Or forgot on a podcast and they can go back and listen to it. So be careful. (laughs) Where where it came off the rails uh, and it's happened to them that day with other people. But you'll be the only one who quickly and graciously apologizes and takes the blame for it. You know, I'm listening to you and you could swear that we had, you know, shared each other's topics with the, you know, and practiced, we didn't. Because my next question is, how do you suggest podcast guests handle tough or unexpected questions gracefully during interviews? And that is a toughie. I mean, it really is. And, you know, sometimes, especially if you're a new guest, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's, you know, going to come out of the, the questions, the, the conversation, you just don't know. It may well be something that you don't know a darn thing about, but the, the host didn't know that you don't know anything about it, which is why I do, always do pre-interviews. You know, I need to know mm-hmm. who, what you're going to do, what you bring to the table, and can we get along on the radio? But my my advice is if you can take those tough or unexpected questions and not just go, ooh, now what? Be graceful during it. You know, it's a skill and it can really set you apart. So start by staying composed for starters and don't, you know, don't be afraid to take a breath, take a a brief pause before you respond to gather your thoughts. And if you're caught off guard and it's going to happen, I'm going to tell you right now, acknowledge the question's complexity before addressing it. And if it's something that you can't really answer Just say, listen, I'm so sorry. I don't have the answer. Can I come back to you on that? You'll get a lot more respect for that. But if you can answer it, focus on the positive aspects and then pivot to the related points that align with your expertise. So always remember, honesty is key. If you don't know the answer, don't fake it. Just don't. Admit you don't know it because if you don't, everybody else is going to know you didn't know it in a few seconds. They're, they're that gonna... makes for an uncomfortable podcast for you, the host, and anybody yeah. else. I have a rule when I'm a guest on someone, not a rule, but I to relax them. I say, I will answer any question that you have the nerve to ask. Oh, you should have never said that to me. Yeah, I, as I was saying <laughs> it, I thought to myself, this may, this may not be the place to, ask, to say that. No. But uh I'll answer any question that you have the nerve to ask. And I said, what if it was something just outlandish? I said, let me tell you something about my phone. When I bought it, it has a disconnect button. So what I'll do is I will cut our call off in the middle of my sentence. You know, if I hang up on you, it makes you look like I hung up on you. If I hang up on me, no one will assume it was me. So I sort of give a little boundary there. I'm not asking you to ask me about my sex life or what I'm, but even if you do that, and I've had strange questions, uh, <laughs> I make a, I make a joke out of it, turn it around and get on with my life. But that's the basic rule. I'll answer any question you have the nerve to ask and you can feel them uh, a relax and B understand that 
anybody with any common sense knows that means within reason on this subject. Right. You, you know, you, you ask, not you, but a host in general asked me on generally talk about personal development or working with some of the people I've worked with or selling or what have you. So we all know what the subject matter is. And as long as you stay within that boundary, I don't care what you ask. Uh, and, and many times I've had to say what you discovered. I don't know. And sometimes I don't know, but I'll get back to you. Oftentimes, it's I don't know, and I will never know. It's out of my wheelhouse. That's not why I'm here. Again, be honest about it. If you yeah. just don't know, don't pretend like you do. And if you can't answer it ever or just don't want to, say so. Yep. Lightly, but say so. Your turn or my turn? Your turn. Uh, from Susan Foster, uh, I got this question. What did you learn? I'll have to give you a little background when I'm through reading her question. What did you learn from the Bluebird Wander Lodge experience you told us about in our seminar, uh, the seminar you did for us? Bluebird, I don't know if they're still in business or not. I don't hear them mentioned a lot. But Bluebird was a company in Fort Valley, Georgia, uh, quite a drive from Atlanta where I was based. And they made the top of the line motor home at that time it was called a wander lodge looked like a converted bus and i think they were i think they were built to be school buses and then right before they painted them yellow bluebird took them and jazzed them up and uh, so i was selling among other things i was a manufacturer's rep the question is what did i learn from that experience um among other things that we were selling was uh plastic dish pans, dish drainers, that type of thing. And uh, they and very inexpensive. They retail for like 88 cents and we sold them to the the department store, dime store, whatever buyer for half of that, 44 cents. So it wasn't a big ticket item. But if you could find somebody who bought a lot of them, like Macy's or FW Woolworth or whatever, there was quite a bit of money in it. So we got an unsolicited order from Bluebird Wander Lodge in Fort Valley, Georgia, for some dish pans, like six dish pans, picture a big dog dish. And uh, I, being a young, inexperienced, not very bright salesperson, said, Bluebird Wander Lodge, oh, I, I know what they do. And they build these things with bedrooms and kitchens and so on and so they're buying the dish pan, but they probably don't know that we also have dish drainers and dish this and sink this and mats and and so on. So what I'll do is I will uh, call on them and make sure that they have all of our plastic goods in every Wander Lodge they build. And I'm thinking thousands and uh, was very excited about it. And my boss said, have you researched it or talked to him? I said, no, no, no. Uh, unsolicited, they bought some dish pans. And he says, okay. So uh, working strictly on commission, I got in my car. I know drove, where this is going. <laughs> drove to Fort Valley, Georgia. And on the way down, I think I called them and said, I'm on the way. And the lady said, oh, I, are you with United Plastics? And I said, yeah, that's the company I represent. He said, oh, you, you don't want to come all the way down here. 
for that. And I said, no, no, you know, don't don't bother me with the facts. Don't even tell me what the facts are. I'm on the way. Ben Gay, super salesman. So I go down, I check into a Howard Johnson's motel that I couldn't afford to be in. But that's okay because I was on call on Bluebird in the morning and uh, pay for everything. And so I walked in and the lady said, oh, Ben Gay, how are you? I tried to stop you, but uh, I appreciate your enthusiasm. And I see so-and-so. Yes, well, he normally doesn't see salesmen except on Wednesdays. And this was a Tuesday or a Thursday, as luck would have it. But for you, I'm going to get you in. So lesson A, find out when they see salespeople. Some people have buying days and no other day. And I happened to land on one that was no other day. But she took pity on me. And I get in and I have all my samples. I look like a, a, a gypsy on the road with dish drainers and mats sticking out of his, you know. And I go in and I sit down with the guy. And he says, I have a wheelbarrow. Tell me you had a wheelbarrow. I'm very sorry. I didn't understand you. Tell me you had a wheelbarrow that you hauled. Yeah, I didn't, but I I would have if it would have fit in the car. It's in my head. Yeah. <laughs> so I, he said, my secretary, whatever her name was, he said, uh, told me you were a very enthusiastic young salesman and that I should see you. And I said, well, thank you very much. Let me show you what we have. He said, well, before you show me what you have, let me tell you why we use the dishpans. Now yours. We hope to get more, but we've used them for years. I said, why? He said, well, when we finish building the Bluebird Wander Lodge, underneath it is an open sewer drain. And we don't want, while it's being transported to its location, to the sales lot or to the customer, we don't want dirt blowing up into the sewer system. So we staple or nail or something one of your uh, dishpans over that opening. And then when it gets to its location, uh, I assume they just take it off and throw it in the trash. And I said, oh, well, how many roughly do you build? He said, well, this is a very expensive uh, unit, the Bluebird Wander Lodge. So in a good month, we might build and sell 10. And he said, what do you get for your product again i said 88 cents <laughs> did you say that loudly or did you say that with your head kind of yeah, head, over head down <laughs> yeah. so if i got all of his business i had driven to fort valley georgia checked into a howard johnson's hotel and on an outside chance my gross sales would be eight dollars and 80 cents a month into the foreseeable future. <laughs> when I got that question. You can't I budget up, with that, can you? <laughs> uh, so the message of all of that is, Susan, research your prospect as best you can. Today, I would have Googled Bluebird Wander Lodge. I would, have I would not have driven to Fort Valley, Georgia to learn my lesson the hard way. But however you do it, asking people who know them, Googling it, going on the internet, looking at their website, make sure you know what your customer is doing, which is maybe not what you assumed they were doing. So I, that that's my Bluebird Wander Lodge experience. And uh, I don't remember if they ordered dishpans again or not. I was so humiliated. You know, I didn't want to call the lady and say, you need any more? 
<laughs> I've got four. Yeah, yeah. You can have the samples I carry around yeah. in the car. Oh my gosh. But you know, when I'm gonna be laughing all day long. So not at not at you, no. No, no. With you. It's, <laughs> it's a great story. But you know, you're talking about research and you know, that's a podcast issue as well. It's really anything. But somebody, you know, sent me a note and said, can you offer some guidance on selecting the right podcast to be a guest on? For starters, selecting is not the right term. You're going to either get on or not. You're going to be at at the, the get the host's mercy, to be honest. But sure. you should be targeting the right podcast to be a guest on. And you should base that on your expertise and the target audience. But research, you really have to identify podcasts within your niche or your industry you need to research their episode topics were easy to find i mean all you have to do is honestly and i say this all the time you cannot hit you can't throw a stick on the internet without hitting your partner in success radio you just can't mm-hmm. it's research what are the topics what's the format with me as it is with with you here it's a conversation it's an interview type of thing what is their audience? Who is their audience? How big is their audience? And if you're wanting to talk about, oh, I don't know, weight loss, I'm not, I'm not the host for you. No. And you should know that before you ever spend time, energy, or put your team on it. If you have a team, they're, they're not going to get anywhere and you're going to be paying somebody to get told no. <laughs> so don't do, but you know, consider my reach and engagement and look for shows that, you know, we have an active and engaged audience that matches your tar- target demographic and check the listener reviews, you know, go on Apple. You can find what people are saying about us very, very easily. Go to listen notes. I mean, it's, we're e- it's easy to find out who we are, what our show is about. And if you really think that you're a good fit for that show, by all means, try to, you know, reach us. But if you're not, and you're just, and I get this all the time, Ben, it makes my teeth snap together. Oh, I just want to come on your show to get, you know, people to pay attention to my website. Nope. I don't even have to think about the answers. Nope. Again, I'm not your billboard. What do even, you even that won't work. No. Let's say that's their motive. Even that won't work if they haven't done what you just told them to do. Research and find out. Uh, I'm not snobbish. I've been on lots of podcasts that I'm sure would probably not a good use of my time but i you know you sit in front of a camera or microphone for an hour it's not a big deal Uh, but i always at least ask who tends to listen to your show i know you don't really know but roughly how many people listen to it and and so on even with that i rarely rule anybody out but i have and it's sort of like that thing well we discuss we discuss weight loss right i'm not your guy no uh, yep. I, I don't know. I've sold diet products, but that doesn't mean I know anything about them, really. Um, and uh, so I'm I'm not your person. By and large, what they're looking for, at least in the early days, till they learn to pick and choose, is they're looking for random exposure. Mm-hmm. And, and they make that clear, not deliberately, because they don't know what they're actually saying to us. Right. We get it. We're like, mm, good luck. And oftentimes I will say, listen, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm a business podcast. This is what I'm looking for, but I may know, cause I know a lot of 
lot of podcasters. Mm -hmm. And I may be able to send you to a couple that I think you might be a good fit for. I try to never say no or even hell no. But, you know, I do try to help them out. If I I can't and it's just never going to be a good fit, I'll just say no. Listen, as a for instance, recently I've been getting a lot of inquiries from people who are associated with the UN. That's a no. It's political. No. And I don't have good thoughts about the UN anyway. So, no. But for some reason, I'm getting a spate of people. So, I wrote a book or, you know, I've done this and, you know, I'm with the government. I'm here to help you. No, 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 no. (laughs) No. No. Reagan called that the nine most (laughs) feared words in the English language. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Exactly. (laughs) And we're seeing that more and more these days. But, you know, and and they'll run in spurts, but there are some topics that I'm just not going to touch. Anything political, not going to happen. So, you know, you have to be selective about who you're approaching. Do I look and sound like I'm going to, you know, want to talk about the UN? No, you didn't do your homework. (laughs) Small world, the UN was formed in large part. I know. Tell that story. In the parlor of Sally Stanford Whorehouse in San Francisco. After they argued all day in public, they would go to Sally's into the parlor where they were given good cigars, fine brandy, and perhaps they participated in other activities. I don't know. I thought that was Sausalito, or was it San Francisco? Sally wound up in Sausalito. Oh, that's it, yeah. Running her beautiful restaurant, the Valhalla. But her whorehouse was in San Francisco, and she watched in 47 and 48, I believe, she watched the United Nations be formed in her parlor. That's all you need to know about the UN, right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a fan of them. Her, I like. Them, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. I love her story. I think she has a terrific story. Okay, your turn. We've got, I think you've got a couple more questions, and if we have time, I'll do mine. But um, I just have one more that I did in advance. Uh, This comes from Robert Melton, and he says, I'm building a new sales team. Where, how should I recruit? Oh, Lord. Um, Yeah. That's an open ended question. Uh, Well, it is, but we can sort of narrow it down a little bit. In this day and age, Uh, If I were building everywhere and anywhere is the answer to his question. (laughs) But if if I were trying to build a sales organization quickly, I would use some of the new sales tools like ZipRecruiter. They do uh, commission selling. He doesn't say whether these people are commissioned or not. But ZipRecruiter dabbles in commission selling and so on. They almost don't care what you're what you're doing. Uh, I would join the sales organizations, and you Google that, and you find out where they are. But there's the Automobile Sales Association, the Real Estate Sales Association, you know, whatever, where salespeople tend to gather on the Internet in big clumps. And I would use referrals. I'm sorry. Go to LinkedIn, definitely. Yeah, LinkedIn. Yeah, Uh, LinkedIn and uh, referrals. Uh, I was asked a question the other day, someone's building a new Toastmasters organization, and I, uh, how do I do it? How do I get the membership up? And I said, referrals. Tell everybody next week, bring a guest. 
um, I'm going to imply if you don't bring a guest, we really don't need you either. <laughs> you know, it's a requirement. So five go to 10 and then go to 20 and all of a sudden you're out of room in a sales organization. Uh, I, I find great uh, success in uh, through referrals because a new uh, sales, a, a salesperson in your organization doesn't want to bring somebody on the team that's going to make him, him or her look bad. So they tend to do the filtering for you. And to that, I would then add an override system. Uh, if you bring a good salesperson who sticks with us six months, let's say, then you get 5%, not out of their pocket, but an override of 5% of whatever uh, they earned or sold or whatever, depending on what your math is. Uh, so you use that. And then the other thing is just to be aware. I've recruited some of the best salespeople on the planet out of restaurants, for instance, where they or uh, just see a salesperson doing a great job. How much do you make here doing that? They tell me, OK, if you come over here, we can double that. And all of a sudden you have a new prospect to join your sales organization. But I love to get people who are all they don't know they're selling, but they are. They're already interacting with people day in and day out from the beginning of their shift to the end of the shift. And my favorite, because I like going in restaurants, we almost live in restaurants, uh, is a good uh, server or maitre d'. They've got the people skills. They have to shift gears every couple of minutes. They have to deal with happy people, angry people, gracious people, cheap people, et cetera. And if I can watch somebody for an hour or so as they go about their duties and they're good at doing all that with a smile on their face while being efficient, we will have that conversation. Uh, Bob, sit down for a moment. What do you make doing this? You know, well, if I could double or triple that, would you be interested? And uh, they say, yeah. And, you know, and sometimes they'll say, because they know a little bit about me, perhaps, They'll say, but I don't know if I want to be in selling. I say, you're already in selling. That's why we're having this conversation. You are very good at selling. So it's everybody and anybody. And there are certainly technical type of sales jobs where you have to have a certain education. So, on. But the vast majority of sales, all they want to know is, will you show up? Will you stay early? Come, come early, stay late, work on weekends. And are you hungry enough to want to make some serious money? We, I probably have told you this, but in Holiday Magic Cosmetics, as a joke, we used to carry in our suit pocket, the down low, you know, the lower pockets, uh, little pocket mirrors like ladies carry in their purses. And uh, when the question was asked, how do I know if they're qualified or am I qualified or what have you, we pull out the mirror, put it under their nose and say, yep, got vapor, you're qualified. <laughs> so... And the qualifications to join Holiday Magic, of which I became president and a multimillionaire, had been any greater than vapor on a mirror, uh, you and I would not be talking today. That was the starting point. Yeah. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, watching people in restaurants. Bartenders, I would think, would also, you know, be somebody good to talk with. But mm -hmm. I tried to be a waitress for about eight minutes when I was very young. I was just out of high school. 
And they asked me to maybe go take over the cash register because I just accidentally dropped a bowl of stew right over this obnoxious. <laughs> it was an accident. It, I was going to say that was an accident, right? It was. I stood, <laughs> you know, I backed up and, and for, unfortunately for me, the boss who was my, my sister-in-law's, well, she wasn't my sister-in-law at the time, but it was her father. And he had been watching me because I was brand spanking new. And he said, why don't you take over the cash register? And I saw what you did. I said, okay. But apparently I was so charming because I leapt back and I said, oh, I'm sorry. Did that hurt? He didn't <laughs> buy it. Nobody bought it. I never waited another table in my life. <laughs> so, Gigi would, I didn't know her then, but Gigi would uh, rival you as the world's worst waitress. Everybody loved her, but nobody got their food on time or <laughs> what they ordered or what have you. And then she decides she'd go to bartending school. She is a licensed mixologist, whatever that means. And uh, she went through the, the training and graduated. She said near the end, she said, but I still don't know how to do so-and-so. And the guy said, that's okay. <laughs> Here's your certificate. You're graduated. <laughs> and when she went to do a couple of demonstrations the only, of her skills, the only place she was offered a job was hostess in a Bavarian hokka uh, restaurant. They, the waitresses all need to do the polka. They yeah. offered her, her the hostess job. And she said, but I'm a licensed mixologist and whoever owned it and had a test her said, not in my opinion. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, we need to know where we belong. That's right. <laughs> I don't belong in a restaurant serving anybody because I don't have the temperament for it. I really don't. And this was a big old boy from Texas, and he was everything you never want to see in a Texan. He was just obnoxious. So I just very quietly decorated his lap with hot stew. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Never well, said a word. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure the statute of limitations has passed by now. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. He never spoke to me again. But anyway, oh. well, listen, we are, I know I was hurt. I was distraught. So. Before we go, we're just about out of time. We always do this. Tell us really quickly about your mentoring program and where can people find the sales Bibles, the closers? Well, last things first, if you would like to have the most powerful sales training material on the, in the world in your hand at a good price with free shipping, uh, go to stores, S-T-O-R-E-S dot eBay. We all know how to spell eBay, I think dot com forward slash Ronzoni books R O N Z O N E B O O K S uh, special pricing free shipping lifetime money back guarantee if they want to reach me about my mentoring program which oversimplified is where I do for my clients my mentees. <laughs> I do for them what Dr. Napoleon Hill did for me the last two and a half years of his life. I offer, offer you my age, experience, wisdom, and in the world of sales and business, I actually have some. Uh, and we do it on a conversational, very casual basis. You will love it if you need it, if you're ready. And you do that by just sending me an email and expressing interest in the mentoring, mentoring program. We call it uh, Mentoring Dynamics, and I will send you a letter that explains everything. No cost, no obligation. So just send me an email at B as in Ben, F as in Frank, G as in Gay, 
the numeral three, BFG3 at directcon.net, D-I-R-E-C-T-C-O-N.net and mention mentoring or something along those lines so I know why and I'll fire back at you. Good, good, good. Listen, what do we want to talk about next week? Well, that's up to you. If we get enough questions in, I really love that. If not, let's go back to the closers part two and uh, you pick out something that you you would like. Uh, One that is... uh, popular is the better re- uh, resolution starting on page 119 so Just if we go to the man. closers uh part two that's where i would suggest we go next okay but i love the uh the questions well you know now that people are saying oh i guess they mean it <laughs> we really can <laughs> yeah. ask because we've asked several times and let's ask again you know listen whoever's listening to us we're easy to find. You can find us on LinkedIn. You can find us on Facebook. You can find me practically anywhere. And just look for your partner in success radio, which is going to lead you to what we're talking about here, which is the closers inner circle. And you can ask us any question you like, unless it's about sex or weight loss. We're not going to be <laughs> there. We'll talk about one and aren't good at the other. No, I'm not going down that road. But you know, we we're here to help you because listen, we both got a lot of experience in our you know, our individual Ben has massive experience with the sale. I mean, he's known as sales living sales legend. I've been podcasting for fifteen years, which makes in me and podcast years about a hundred years old because when I started, I think there was me and nine other people. I was here. We were out there by ourselves. But it's been an amazing journey for both of us, and we want to help you. So, you know, get in touch with us. So before I say goodbye, or we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes, Audible, anywhere else you consume your business podcast. Again, I'll say it again. You can't throw a stick on the Internet without hitting your part in Success Radio. So find us and take us along on your success journey. Ben, thank you. I love chatting with you. Same here, dude. Uh, you're Dude. one of my favorite people on the planet, as you know. <laughs> I I remember calling, I have to say this, I, I had a God wink and I picked up the phone. Just It was a God wink. I was being driven. You know, I was being told to go call Ben. And I picked up the phone and I called you and you pretended to be somebody else. And I said, Ben, it's Denise. Do that. <laughs> I lost <laughs> I'll never forget that. Do that. And I almost cried. I was like, oh, it's <laughs> Ben. He can help me. He can, he can, you know, I've had all these things going on in my head and I needed some wisdom. And I mean, when I heard you, you know, holler, do that. I just, I seriously, I just kind of slumped in my chair. I went, oh, thank God. <laughs> so here we are. Well, I appreciate it, admire you, and as you know, if there's anybody who wants to be in podcasting, web building, whatever, there's no one else I recommend. It's you. Thank you. Tell Gigi hi. We will talk again tomorrow. Are you still, you know, carrying on with your birthday? I mean, you have. As long as I can, but I found (laughs) it's a little hard. Gigi works a month, and it doesn't bother her in the least. She's uh, unrepentant. Uh, I get a little embarrassed after a day or two of it, 
But as long as it lasts, those of you who didn't get your gifts in, go ahead and mail them. I accept late birthday gifts. Uh, well, Amazon I'll, gift cards. Yeah, just because I'm a gracious person. Right. And if you decide you want to send Ben some chewy gift cards, he can give those to me. <laughs> so I'll, I'll take care of those. Well, listen, everybody, thank you. We will see you again next week. Have a great day, Denise. Thank you.